Well, you all look great. You sound great. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of James. We're in chapter 3. I need to mention to you that I messed up in my announcements. Promotion day is not till next Sunday. My wife had to correct me. It's a full-time job for her. But it's next Sunday. We believe that God has a unique, unique destiny for our church. And um, when we, whenever we gather for worship, we, we like to look at God's Word in a kind of verse-by-verse fashion. So we've been walking through this book of James and going verse by verse through it. The title of the message series is called Wisdom That Works. And so we've looked at these words that James has given us. We've understood how practical uh, they are and, and how much wisdom is found in it, being the whole point that if we will apply our faith, if we will actually live our faith, then that faith has power in our lives. James, as we mentioned, is the half-brother of Jesus. This is one of the earliest New Testament books written. And so it has a lot of insight for you and for me. And what you're going to find, I think, is that this passage today is very, very relevant, though written 2,000 years ago, is very relevant to where we live today. Taming the tongue. You know, the tongue is, is such a powerful, powerful instrument. Um, 86% of divorces are due to communication problems. It's at least the primary problem or one of the top three problems. One in four kids say that they've never had a significant conversation with their dad. The tongue has the power to build up or the power to tear down, and that's really what James is talking about here. There's a funny story about a monk who just arrived at a monastery up in the mountains and he was prohibited from speaking much, so for the first five years, he could only say two words per, per year. And so at the end of the first year, he said the words, food, cold. Into the second year, he said the words, bed, hard. <laughs> End of the third year, he said the words, I quit. <laughs> and some of the other monks said, well, you know, he should. All he's done since he's been here is complain. Words have a way of kind of defining us and kind of making us who we are, don't they? They really verify and validate certain aspects of our lives. And James is going to make a connection between the words that we say and the attitudes of our heart. So let's look at this passage, the power of our words. And he starts off in verses 1 and 2 with a warning to teachers and a warning to leaders. Look in verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And that scares the bejeebers out of me. <laughs> and maybe some of you too, who are in teaching positions, in leadership positions. It's not that our words are more important. It's just simply because of the audience, the words have a lot of influence. And so James is saying, listen, those of you who teach, those of you who lead, what you say is of vital importance. And you've got to wrap your mind around this concept that your words have meaning and your words have power. And so he starts off with this warning to teachers and to leaders. And we need to just kind of stop there. Leaders at the brook. Teachers at the brook. 
And we have standards that we assign to our teachers and our small group leaders. These are important because of this very passage. So is there a double standard for leaders and teachers? Yes, there is. Is there more accountability? Yes, there is. And James says, particularly those in leadership, those who are teaching and influencing others need to be very, very careful with their words. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. So true. So then he talks about, in verses 3 through 5, the power of the tongue in kind of direct correlations here. And this is where we're really going to get into the meat of it and how it applies to you and me today. So he talks about, first of all, the power to direct. The tongue has the power to direct our lives. And he gives the illustration of horses and ships. Look in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Here's a 2,500-pound animal that's able to respond because of a little bit in its mouth. Okay? Verse 4, or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. And that word actually means it's not necessarily rudder, but it's the handle of the rudder. How that ship can be stirred or steered. Wherever the pilot wants it to go, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Here's the application for you and me today. In understanding this idea that the tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has a determining effect in our lives. It sets a course. The tongue has the power to control life. Because words fulfill themselves. We know that to be true. Words fulfill themselves. Psychologists call it the belief loop. Three parts to the belief loop. Thinking something that then results in an attitude that then results in words that are spoken. That's the belief loop. That's how a belief is crystallized in our lives. Thinking, an attitude of the heart, and then speaking. Speaking words close the belief loop. Speaking words verify and validate what we might believe about ourselves or another person. That's the kind of effect that it had. It has a sealing effect. It seals our thoughts. It seals our minds. It, it seals our attitudes. It has a reinforcing effect. And thus the loop is closed. So we think something. We feel something. We say something. Which reinforces that we think something, that we feel something, that we say something. That's the way it works. Now, think about that for a moment. What are the words that you project? What are the words that you say that validate and reinforce certain beliefs in your life? Listen, I didn't say those beliefs were true. They may be myths. You may be telling yourself something that absolutely is not true, but your words are reinforcing that belief by the fact that you say them. You may be believing something about someone else or projecting something on them, reinforcing an attitude or a belief in their life by the words that you say. That's the power of words, the power to direct life. And so James is saying here, listen, be so careful man came to a counselor. He was very upset with his wife. And he said to the counselor, I want to get a divorce. And the counselor said, well, hold on. 
Let's talk about it. So they talk about it a little bit. And the guy says, I want a divorce. His mind was made up. And so the counselor says to the guy, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and for six months, every morning and every night, I want you to say the words, I love you, to your wife. And then at the end of six months, if you still want to, you can get a divorce. And so the guy goes off, determined that he's going to get a divorce. He speaks those words. He's disciplined to do so. I love you in the morning. I love you before bed. He comes back to the counselor at the end of six months, and the counselor says, So, how about that divorce? You still want a divorce? He said, No. He said, I actually do love my wife. That's the power of words. They reinforce, they project, they, they build in our own life certain beliefs, and that's what he's talking about. Studies have shown that people who are trained and counseled in the choice of their words have significantly raised the quality of their relationships. It's just true, but it's been true for 2,000 years. Words determine the course of our life. So the power to direct. Secondly, the power to destroy, the power to destroy. We're going to look now in verses 5 and 8, the end of verse 5 all the way through verse 8. Look at what it says. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The word hell there is the actual word that refers to the place outside of Jerusalem, the trash heap, where trash would be burned. The original trash talk here, okay? That's what he's talking about here, that, that, that the tongue has the ability to absolutely burn and set on fire. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So, the tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to destroy. We all know this to be inherently true. Here's the application, though. And this is what James is trying to say. The tongue has an exponential effect. The tongue ha has a rippling effect. It, it has an undulating effect in our lives. And it ripples through our lives and through the lives of those who are around us. It's exponential in its effect. It's not one word equals one consequence. It's one word can equal many consequences. One word has the power to do so much in a person's life. Think about it. When, when has your whole day been ruined by something that your spouse said to you in the morning? And maybe you just carried it all throughout the day and, you know, you... You're mad at coworkers, and you, you come home at the end and you yell at the kids and you kick the dog and, you know, it's just ruined, hopefully not, but it, it's ruined your whole day, right? And it, it permeates throughout life. It ripples throughout life. That's what he's saying here. It has an exponential effect. So our perspective is that the tongue or the words we say, this is what it is. Our perspective when we say them is just a small thing. How many of you have ever said that to our spouse? It's a small thing. Well, it has the power to do great harm. In reality, according to God's word, it's really big. It's really, really big. 
the great fire in Chicago in 1871. Destroyed 18,000 homes. 300 people died in that fire. Do you know how it started? From one small spark in a barn. How many times have we heard on the news these huge fires in Northern California across the nation that have been set from one small flame from a campfire? James is saying that's the potential effect of harmful words. And we say, well, why? Why does it have that kind of effect? The reason it has that kind of effect is because words have meaning. Words have meaning. They are, they are symbols. And we're going to look at this later in this passage. They are symbols for what's in here. Have you ever said, well, I didn't really mean that? James would say, yeah, you probably did. At that moment, at least. It may not be your entire belief system, but in that moment... That's really what you believed because you said it. So he gives three metaphors in this particular part of this passage. Three metaphors. The first one is a fire. That's in verse 6. And look at the power of the fire. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire. So James is talking about verbal arsonists. Verbal arsonists. And the application for us today, verbal arsonists are gossipers. They like to set ablaze certain things. Second metaphor is the metaphor of wild beasts. Verse 7. Look, he says, listen, animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. Here's the irony. Here's the contrast. Man can tame animals. Think about the strangest animal that you've ever seen tamed. By the way, what would that be? I'd like to hear from you. What's, what's the strangest animal that you've ever seen tamed? A grizzly bear? What else? Ostrich? Actually been... T- <laughs> yeah, you can ride an ostrich. Yeah, some weird stuff. Man can tame animals, even weird ones. Even big ones. Can you imagine the, 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 the taming of, of the whale, the killer whale at SeaWorld? That's just amazing. And sometimes they eat a person or two, but, you know. <laughs> almost tame, at least. Here's the irony, according to James. Man can tame animals, but he can't tame himself. And how true is that for you and me? We don't control the tongue. Many times it controls us. So the fire, wild beasts, and then the third thing, the third metaphor in that part of the text in verse 8 is a deadly poison. Look at what he says. He says, the tongue is a restless evil. Never stops. (laughs) Never stops. Full of deadly poison. One drop of arsenic in millions of, drop of water, drops of water will kill a person, right? That's the power of the poison. So he says, listen, it has an exponential effect. It's not just one equals one. It, it's one equals many because words have meaning. And the tongue has that kind of power. The power to direct, the power to destroy, but then third, the power to delight. Here's where we turn the page. 
the power to delight. Look in verses 9 through 12. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Wow. James is painting a picture. Remember last week he talked about kind of the church service where the rich man comes in and he gets a special seat of honor. The poor man, he's talking about the congregational gathering. James is writing to Jewish Christians. And now here is this allusion here to a worship service where we come into the worship service and with our tongues we praise our God and our Father and we go out the door. And in an instant... We can curse other men. We can destroy other people with our words. Isn't that an amazing spectrum? On one hand, we could praise God. On the other hand, we could curse and destroy other people. Look in verse 10. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. And by the way, look back in verse 9. He says, not just men, but men who have been made in God's likeness. Imagine for a moment that today was your birthday. And that all of us as a church got together and we said, we're going to make this person feel very, very special today. So we're going to all donate some money. We all really sacrifice and donate money. And we all decide, no, we're not just going to go out and buy a gift. What we're going to do is we're going to build this person something. And we're going to pool all of our resources and we're going to work for a period of weeks and we're going to present this gift to that individual. So comes the big day on the birthday and we bring them here and we put the gift up here on the stage and we set them down and we unveil the gift and the person looks at the gift and starts laughing and saying, that's the ugliest, most pitiful thing I've ever seen in the world. I don't want that. How do you think we'd feel? We built this thing. We paid a high price for this thing. In some ways, that gift reflects kind of in essence who we are and what we wanted to give to that person. And yet here, that individual curses the very thing that meant so much to you and me. And I imagine that's how God feels. God created people. He created you. He created me. He paid a high price. He sent His Son for you and for me. He died on the cross for us. And so, essentially, James is saying this. When you ridicule another person, really what you're doing is you're ridiculing God. You're disparaging God. It's a slap in God's face to curse another person and to destroy them with your words because that person has been made in my likeness. They are my gift. And he says, well, these things should just not be. Look in verse 10. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers... This should not be. And really he's going to illustrate how it cannot be. How it cannot be. Look in verse 11. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? What's the answer to that question? No. Good. That's right. Verse 12. You're with me. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? What's the answer? No. Or a grapevine bear figs? No. Rhetorical questions. Everybody knows the answer to them. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he's talking about this incongruence where we say our life is one thing, but our words reveal something else. He's connecting the mouth to the heart. 
And he's using the illustration of a, a, a spring that produces both fresh water and salt water. It's impossible. So what flows from the spring, what flows from the river, indicates the kind of river that it is. What fruit is born on the tree indicates the kind of tree that it is. You know, we have a lemon tree in our backyard, and it's a very frustrating lemon tree. It produces, like, tons of lemons. And it produces them during the winter. So we can't go out and sell them on the street, you know. We just have all these lemons, and the kids are always wanting to sell them. They're out there in the cold, and you know, it's like January, and they're out there trying to sell lemons in, in the neighborhood. It just doesn't work. And it produces a whole lot of them, so it gets a little, little bit messy. As much as I would like for that tree to produce apples, it's never going to produce apples. As much as I'd like for that tree to produce something that we can actually eat, you know, some oranges, something, it's just going to produce lemons. That's because the fruit is connected to the tree. It's a lemon tree. Your words reveal your heart. Jesus was always connecting the mouth to the heart. And this is the application for you and me. I really want you to get this. You don't get anything else. This is, this is kind of the takeaway. If our problem is our tongue, our tongue is not the problem. Okay? Let me say it again. If our problem is the tongue, the tongue is not the problem. The problem is the heart. It's the heart. And the tongue is just reflecting what the attitude of the heart is. Spurgeon had a famous saying. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he would say, that which is in the well will come up in the bucket. Isn't that true? Sure. It's an attitude of our heart. So our words are like, the, are like the warning signal on the dashboard of our car. It's not the problem. It's an indicator of the problem under the hood. That's the way our words are as well. So James is saying, listen, be very careful. It has the power to direct. It has the power to destroy. But it also has the power to build up and to delight the tongue has the power to delight others. It has the power to delight God. It has the power to create life in other people. My favorite quotes, I've shared it with you before, is from Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson said this, Call a man brave and you help him become so. Now I remember certain people because I remember the words that they spoke into my life. I still have a picture of my first grade teacher, Miss Taylor. Miss Taylor was not pleasant on the eyes, and she was about 70 years old or so, but Miss Taylor believed in me. And on my birthday, she, she sent me a picture of herself. <laughs> and you can imagine that picture. It's really funny, but she sent me a picture of herself with a birthday card. And I remember Miss Taylor because she believed that I could do certain things. When all the other messages in my life were kind of telling me that I couldn't, she said I could. That's the power of words. So here's, here's the million-dollar question. What are you doing with your words? Words have a subtle way. You know, we're, we're real smart with 
the way we use them, but through sarcasm. <laughs> um, words have a way of creating doubt, building faith, skepticism. Words have a way of undermining. You know, people who have had humor and sarcasm, but really have, they have a point behind it. I think in our modern application in today's world, we might say, well, how does this really apply? Well, in our world, so, so much of our world and the communication of our world is, is through text. And so what, what, about, what about your emails? It's easy to rip off an email to somebody, isn't it? We have a lot of courage behind a keyboard. <laughs> what about sitting face-to-face with someone? It all changes at that point, doesn't it? If I get a rough email from someone, my immediate reply is, let's sit down and talk. You know, I'm not going to go email for email. Let's sit down and talk. So be prepared. (laughs) If you send me a bad email, we're going to have a meeting, and that's okay. (laughs) We're going to sit down and we're talking. We're not going to do the email war. Blogging. What do you put on Facebook? What does that look like? Would you be proud that Jesus would read it? That's our modern world today. So how are we using our words? How are we using our words? Here's the prayer. It's been the theme throughout the whole service today. And I want you to get it. This is a great prayer to pray. And I've started praying this at the beginning of all my messages. It's in Psalm 19, 14. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, notice the connection, the mouth to the heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How about memorizing that verse? How about making that your prayer? How about every morning reminding you of this? I guarantee... It will change the way you speak. And I guarantee, when you change the way you speak, you will change the quality of your life. It's just the truth. So let's pray together. All right?